0: That's amazing. Would you give a hand to Amber for sharing her story? Yeah. So as you came in this morning, you couldn't help but notice all of the construction for Players Box, which is so exciting to me. Uh, as of today, 346 families have raised 3.3 of the 4 million goal for Players Box. Southbrook, will you give each other a hand? Yeah. And when I think about my role as a contributor, I often get inspired by a brief parable, and it goes like this. A man's walking down a street and he sees construction in progress. So he stops the first mason on his path, and he says, hey, what, uh, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm doing my job. Okay, fair enough. And he moves on to the next mason. He says, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm laying bricks that are one day gonna be a building. Okay, pretty cool. He goes to the next mason. What are you doing? I'm building a cathedral. And do you see the difference in the mindset there? And so I try to capture that mindset when I'm participating in the act of giving that I am not just being generous for the sake of generous but I am helping to build the church. In Southbrook, we need 29 more families to consider joining this effort so that we have meet our goal of 4 million and we have 375 families in total contributing to Players' Box, which is not just a building. We know the church isn't a building, but what it is is a facility that facilitates the opportunity for us to intersect generations of parents and students and equip them with the most calming presence in the world, the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So... Uh, One of the kind of running jokes around here about me is that I was homeschooled. You guys laughed less this time. Yeah, the extra sleep made you nicer. Yeah. Uh, I think we can all agree that the only thing worse than middle school biology is middle school biology at home. Because you rack up some pretty big therapy bills when your mom's your sex ed teacher, right? So, I remember my parents, they get a uh, biology dissection kit, which is really cool that they would go to that extent to bring dead animals in our home and pay money for me to cut them up. (laughs) So, props to mom and dad, thank you for that. And uh, so, when you go through dissection, it's kind of a rite of passage, whether public, private, or home, school even, is you are changed. You see things a little bit differently, don't you? And what happens is, the intention is that as you remove a layer and you remove another layer, something that appears complicated can become more simple. And through the process of dissection, your understanding expands. For the record, anyone I've ever talked to who's dissected a cat said it, in fact, has no soul. That thing is just <laughs> pure evil inside, okay? So my hope today is that the the author of Romans 4 invites us to dissect our faith all the way back to the origin of our faith in Genesis 15. And my hope is that it would have the same effect on you that it did on me, that my confidence in the promises of God, what Jesus has done, what he said he will do, would be bolstered. And if you don't have a faith yet, my hope is that today would provoke a deep, deep curiosity into faith in God. I want to pray through you before we get started. God, I ask that you would be involved in the rest of our time together and that it would go from a guy that is sharing information to a God who provides transformation. And that is only explainable with your involvement here. And I pray that your heart and your promises would be expressed and a tone and a passion and a celebration and a gratitude that is aligned with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So Pete jumped into Romans four last week and he got to verse 16. This is where I wanna start with you. So it says, this is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting ourselves in our way and then simply embracing ourselves in what we do. I read that wrong, wait. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God. His way, not my way. And then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as a gift. Pete talked about how if you try to earn it, it becomes compensation. And then it's no longer a gift. But God made it a gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. Do you see that the heart of God is he wants accessibility. He wants every human being, to have access to him. For Abraham is father of us all. He is not our racial father. That is reading the story backward. He is our faith father. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint. Isn't that a relief? Everyone just take like a deep exhale with me. But because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Nobody. Huh, isn't that what we've always read in scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God. You notice that trusting God requires some courage to do what only God could do, raise the dead to life with the word, making something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. I have to show you another translation of the same verse. It says, in hope against hope, he believed so that he might be a father of many nations. Now, hope against hope is a beautiful phrase if you understand it. But if you don't, you're just like, what? How does that make any sense? So let me ask you this question. Have you ever said, I don't want to get my hopes up? Really what you're saying is, I don't want to set myself up for disappointment. So when Paul writes that Abraham had a hope against hope, he's saying that he had a hope that defied the odds of disappointment. And the only way that we get a hope like that is from assurance. Now, if I were to make you a promise, you could not assure yourself that I would be good on my promise. Only the author of the promise can assure the recipient. And anytime we start talking about faith and hope, I think it's important to go to one of the Bible's greatest hits on this, it's in Hebrews 11. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The author is saying that hope is not blind. Faith has confidence. But where does that confidence come from? It comes from the assurance. Now. Something that our culture and the way we use language um, just makes ideas of faith and hope a little confusing is we start substituting words for each other that don't mean that thing. So uh, if I were to say to you, Oh, I hope that Katie Ford will go on a date with me. I hope that she will enjoy me as much as I enjoy her. I hope that she will find me as attractive as I find her. I'm still waiting on that one. But I hope. (laughs) that she will become my wife. Really, all of those statements are I wish. Because if, if what you want to become true, if you don't have a likely reason to believe that it will, it is just a wish, it is not a hope. I'm a homeschool boy, she's homecoming queen. There's a disparity there. <laughs> but when Katie said yes after my proposal to her, she was promising to become my wife. And that is when I could say, I hope that she will be my wife. And the difference between wishing and hoping is the promise. Because a wish is wanting something to be without a guarantee. Hope is when I wish so becomes confident that it will be so. The church and Christians have often complicated ideas of faith. And I don't think often that it's done out of malicious intent. But many people who are doing what I'm doing right now have made faith faith messy. And the way that they do that is they overemphasize your role and my role in faith so that way they feel like they have some control on the outcome of faith. But I have good news for you. You don't have control. God has control. And guess what? That is the best case scenario that you and I could hope for. You see, faith is not a formula. But what we do is we think, well, I've done all these good religious things, and now I have a magical lasso that I can toss around God's neck and I can bend him to my will as if he's some sort of cosmic butler. And then do you know what happens? We get disappointed. Because then we start praying and saying, oh God, well I did all these things, so you owe me. And then we're upset when God doesn't make good on promises that he never signed his name to. And what happens then? Is that people, they say, oh, God isn't who he said he is. God doesn't do what he says he will do. And sometimes it even leads us to walk away from faith. But that's because we've made faith a formula. Faith is this, the confidence that God is and will do what he promised to do, not what we signed his name to promise to do. See, we don't believe that God is going to keep his promises because of our faith. That's backwards. That's all wrong. That is where you turn faith into a formula. And then the Hebrews writer, he continues and he says that this Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Their confident faith and the assurance that they did not make but the assurance that they receive from God. So then the writer goes on to illustrate to his audience how God did this. And he uses none other than the very person that Pete talked about last weekend, Abraham. Now, Abraham is a a very relatable story because he gets it wrong over and over and over. Now, how many of you, this is actual raise your hand exercise, how many of you had heard the name Abraham before Pete even mentioned him last week? Almost everyone in this room. And do you know that one of God's promises to Abraham is that I will make your name great. And here we are, some 4,000 years later, and almost every person in this room knew his name. I guarantee you in 4,000 years, no one's going to know a Kardashian. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I did not expect that. So in this promise that God gives to Abraham, I want to reverse a little bit. Before Abraham was Abraham, his name was actually Abram. So Abram, has God come to him and he says, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars in the sky. I'm going to make your name great, and I will make you into a nation that will bless other nations. And this is pretty laughable, because if you're Abram, your name means exalted father, and you don't have one kid. He walks into town, hey, how are you? I'm good. What's your name? Abram. Oh, exalted father. You must, like, your kids must love you. Oh, actually, it's, it's just me and Sarah. <laughs> cool. Then God adds insult to injury, and he promises that he will be a father of the multitude, and he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Father of multitudes. He walks back into town. Abram, good to see you again. Oh, actually, it's Abraham. <laughs> oh, so then you, you like had a kid, right? Uh, it's, uh, it's still just me and Sarah. Awesome. <laughs> so imagine sitting in the discomfort of feeling like a fraud while also trying to hold on to the assurance that God has given you that these promises will become true. So then five years go by. At this point, I think Abraham is 80. And he's thinking, okay, God, remember me? We haven't talked in a while, but I did that thing you said to do. I moved my family, Sarah and I, across the continent, and now we're vagabonds in a foreign land, but what what, what about that baby? What about that baby? And you can kind of see the formula of faith there, don't you? That we all have a disposition to do. I did my part, now God wears yours. And you can only imagine how much effort Abraham and Sarah put into getting God's promise to come true by growing their family. Like it's late at night and Sarah goes, hey, uh, you want to... <laughs> Abraham's like, no, I, I have a headache." Oh, uh, well, I guess the whole earth won't be blessed, but if you have a headache, you can just see her laying that guilt trip on. And Abraham's like, I just want to cuddle. (laughs) All too familiar. The point is that 25 years later, this blessing is put into motion and baby Isaac is here baby Isaac is here. The blessing is finally happening, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, you and I would agree that blessing is a good thing, but blessing, there's like different levels of blessing, right? So like Katie, if she gives me a kiss on her way out the door, that's a delightful blessing. But if she's like, hey, it's time, that's a whoa blessing. Like those are... (laughs) are two different categories. So God, what kind of blessing is this blessing that you're saying you're going to give us? And it all points back to just a few chapters after, after Abraham receives this commitment from God to make his name great and to make a nation that will bless nations. It's in Genesis 15, and we're going to go back there. But if you're like me, anytime I've gotten into the Old Testament, especially when I first started reading the Bible, I'd be like, two chapters in, tap, tap, I'm going back to the New Testament, because this, like, I don't understand dates, I don't understand names, I don't understand rituals, there's so much blood, like, what is happening here? And so then I would go back to the New Testament. I heard a quote from St. Augustine, and he said that the Old Testament is like a fully furnished room, only dimly lit. So what he's saying is, there is so much to enjoy and appreciate there are chairs to sit in, tables to dine at, cupboards to empty, if we only knew how to find them. But instead, we carelessly stand up like it's 3 a.m. and we have to go to the bathroom, so we try and keep our eyes closed, and then we crash our shin into the bed and we're upset and we're cussing. But what happens to us on this side of the cross is that we have Jesus, the light of the world, to illuminate this amazing room with all of this furniture for us to enjoy and appreciate. But before we get there, I want to give you a little context. Today, if we want to show somebody that we mean business, uh, we will sign our name on a contract. And the point of that is if I don't do what I said I would do, then you could pull it up in this database and say, look, you didn't do it. And then I would have to live with those consequences. But, in an era when paper wasn't limitless and databases didn't exist, humans they cataloged significant events through ceremonies. And in Genesis 15, Abraham sets up a ceremony. And it starts like this Sovereign Lord. How can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know that what you said will happen will happen? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. God has a heart. You notice that God says to do this, and Abraham doesn't do what you and I would do. Wait, what? Biology class was a little different back then. He just immediately goes, grabs what God said, and he begins setting a stage for a ceremony. And this is called a cutting oath. Have you ever heard the, the vernacular in business, I'll cut you a deal? Yeah, that's where this comes from. And so Abraham, he knows he's setting up a scene where he has Parts of animals on each side of a path. And the intention is that those making the oath would walk between the pieces. And what that meant was they were committing to having the consequence or the curse of breaking the oath. If they broke their oath, they were saying, turn me into the beasts on each side that I may be torn into. This is how you know that I mean business. Actually, a lot of historians postulate that this was a part of wedding ceremonies because nothing says romance like Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) Yeah, you're never going to forget those vows till death do us part. And even as kids, we try to show that we mean business, right? Uh, If I break my promise, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a... Yeah, a bunch of masochists. So the point is that we are always looking to show that we mean business, and we're always looking for other people to show us that they mean business. And so what we do is we intuitively know that the Bible is the holiest, most transcendent object in our midst. And so we put our hands on the Bible when we make oaths today. So Abraham, he says, all right, I think I know that God is going to mean business. But there are two instances of this ceremony that completely amaze Abraham. You see, in this oath, the superior, the Lord, would not walk the path. And the reason was, because everyone knew that a person of nobility had good character and that they were good for their promise because they had so many assets and collateral that they could just cut a check. So no, you don't have to go through all that. But if you were an inferior, then you walked the path because you had the most to gain and the most to lose. And so Abraham sets up the scene and it says that he waited and he waited. In fact, he waited so long that he had to fight the buzzards off of the ceremony pieces that God had instructed him to create. And so there he is, he's waiting. And it says that a darkness suddenly fell over the scene. Abraham's alert now is happening. And he sees a pillar of fire and smoke appear at the entrance of the path. And then he saw that fiery pillar and smoke move through the pieces. And he knew exactly what that meant. It meant that God was saying, if I don't keep up my end of this oath, May I be cut into pieces. May I shed my immortality for mortality. And Abraham is just flabbergasted. He's humbled. He prepares himself. He goes, all right, it's time for me. And you know that God never asked Abraham to walk the blood path. Abraham, amazed again, knew exactly what this meant. That God was saying, Not only will I be torn into pieces if I don't keep up my end of the oath, but I will be torn into pieces if you don't keep up your end. This is unheard of. Never has a blood oath ceremony taken this, ever. And then 2,000 years later, a darkness swarms across on Calvary. And Jesus Christ is torn into pieces with nails through his hands, thorn on his crown, and a spear in his eye. And Jesus said something very similar that God said to Abraham. This deal is done. I've taken it for you. And now Jesus says to you and he says to me, it is Now I know why he did that. Because he knew that you and I would rack up such a huge deficit of righteousness that we could never earn our way back to him. No, it would be a gift. And he refused to let us meet him halfway. He said, I'm gonna go all the way to the cross for you because I love you too much to let you save yourself. I love you too much to let you save yourself. Because faith, faith is just a confidence that God is and will do what he promised to do. We don't believe that God will keep his promises because of our faith. We have faith because we believe that God will keep his promises because he kept his promises before. And so here you are, here I am with this huge deficit of righteousness that we've racked up. And do you know what Romans 4.22 tells us? This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not just for him, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who has raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. In order for the best thing to become true, God couldn't count on you. So what did God do? Is he counted on himself. So why would we ever be tempted to count on ourselves when God knew that he had to count on himself? Let us be like Abraham. Let our faith be assured. And our faith is based on God keeping his promises. Let's pray. God, thank you for being the God who refuses to meet us halfway. You love us too much to let us try and save ourselves. So now in gratitude, we pray the words of Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everyone said amen.